You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. We hope you've actually seen the test drive piece we just dropped yesterday, which is the Lexus NX. We have another Lexus we're going to discuss here in a moment. To our eyeballs and Lexus we, products. We, we have many, many Lexi. Also, today, it, it ended up being a 24-hour delay for multiple, just, you know what, reasons. For lots of reasons, <laughs> we had a 24-hour delay reasons. on our next piece, which is a GR Corolla versus the Focus RS versus a Kona N that we were fascinated to do right around the time. We shot it right around the time of the Corolla launch. That is coming out today. If you haven't seen it, we would love for you to watch it, share it, all of those things. That is coming to YouTube first. It will be part of Season 12 on TV. But you know what? While we're talking TV, Season 12 is going to be delayed, which we actually are cho- choosing to have that happen. We're going to move from first and third quarter of a calendar year on Motor Trend to second and fourth quarter for 2023. Again, reasons. So that's happening. And, and But we're still <laughs> shooting like crazy for TV and for YouTube. So the Corolla piece just came out that'll be part of next season's tv and then we have other things to shoot like you and i were just talking about the last of our four points trips with the cars of the past we need to go south still that needs to happen while we edit north well on to the next lexus which is the 2022 lx 600 f sport the only real way to buy a land cruiser in the u.s anymore it's the land cruiser if you want a land cruiser that's your option it's a land cruiser with a maw (laughs) is it the maw cruiser Oh, no. I've decided that for the future, Lexus and BMW will just take all the sheet metal off the front of their cars. It's just just, a hole. You just want it to be so open, just take everything off the front and leave it. That reminds me. It's unfinished. That reminds me. It's deconstructivism. Totally. I, I did this by accident in college. I had, of course, the Caprice Classic. Oh, that's because right. Because, of course, I did, right? It was the gray one, right? I, I had a Caprice Classic. I had a, I had a gray one, yes. And I was, I was visiting my parents. I was home in Houston. I was visiting my parents. And my light turned green, and I headed onto a major road. And as my light turned green, somebody ran the light on the major street. Oh, I didn't know that. And headed toward me T-bone style. And I screeched to a halt and turned one way, and they screeched, screeched and turned the other way. And they, we could not have planned this better. We, I mean, like it would have been a stunt show to make it better than this. They perfectly sliced off the grill of the Caprice. Oh, yeah? Didn't break either. Actually, they broke one of the lights, but there's, there were the four of the cube lights. The rest of the cube lights were fine. It, it cr- just carved off the grill plastic chromey piece, right? Perfect. Leaving a maw behind, just this big open maw. And, of course, I was home for the weekend from college, and it was their fault, whole other thing. But anyway, so I ended up driving it back to college that way. Big open maw on the front. So you wanted a Lexus. I didn't. Way before they were popular. But the point I'm I'm making is, so I had it for a few weeks with just this big open maw in the sheet metal. Yeah. And I walked out of a class once with a buddy and I went, what do you think of the front of my car? And he stopped and looked at it and I watched him calculate. And then I realized what was going on in his head. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you because I did it on purpose. Uh, <laughs> I'm making a joke. Right. He was trying to figure out the nice response to Why this would you terrible thing I've done. He thought I was like, yeah, look at my car. It's like, no, 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 that's not intentional. This is what happens when somebody almost T-bones you in a junction. Mm. Well, for Lexus, it is intentional. That's exactly. exactly. It's deliberate. Mm-hmm. And on this thing, 409 horsepower twin turbo V6 with a 10-speed auto, 8,000-pound towing capacity, mm. All for a grand total of one hundred seven thousand five hundred eighty-five U.S. dollars, 
it's expensive. Yes. But what we realized in driving this truck around mm-hmm. was that it is cannibalized by Toyota's own product offering. Technically, yeah. it's a seven-seater. Mm-hmm. It has the thinnest of thin re- third-row seats that yeah. automatically fold up out of the very thin floor, and it's just, they're for kids. The okay, Land Cruiser fine. has always been bad for third-row, always. Well, you're, you're forcing this onto the mm-hmm. Land Cruiser. Yeah, it yeah. was never designed to, and the styling makes it too stubby. You're trying to put all the new styling and technology from Lexus mm-hmm. onto one of your oldest platforms. Even the Sequoia has some roots in the Land Cruiser chassis. Yeah, okay. but this is the chassis, the the old one. They're putting all this stuff, this new stuff, mm-hmm. including a new interface, the new screen. As a as cars go, when you sit in it, mm-hmm. it's fine. It's nice enough. Great bo- space. Bottoms nice are too short for our legs, <laughs> so therefore it's very uncomfortable. But even though it has distinct personalities mm-hmm. and it's designed to go off roading, nobody takes this thing with twenty twos on it, twenty two inch wheels. You don't take this off roading. Yeah, this is your hundred and ten thousand dollar luxury SUV with off road cred. But that means you have to spend more money to buy wheels and tires that are off road capable. Sure. On top of that money to go make it off road capable, and nobody's going to do this. So get this with the Sequoia Platinum. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's about seventy five thousand dollars. There okay. is one step above that, but you don't need it mm-hmm. because the Platinum has everything. If you're looking for a true seven-seater, you buy the Sequoia. You sure. don't put Band-Aid sure. seats. They're really as thin as Band-Aids. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. nothing to speak yeah. of. And I get they're you. probably terribly uncomfortable. So you get the Sequoia. You get a better screen, actually bigger. The interface is better. You can connect two of your phones at the same time. Mm-hmm. You have more power and torque in that thing. It rides better because the chassis, the wheelbase is longer. Yeah, yeah. It has more space. It has more space, better space utilization. Mm -hmm. And I think even though the Sequoia ain't pretty, it's better looking than the Lexus. Interesting. All for twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars less. <laughs> You're an from the driver. same company. We're saving you money now. There is the look. I'll I'll play counterpoint for a second. Okay. okay? What's going to happen here is. The folks that love the Land Cruiser are going to wind up buying one of these. Because For 107000 the, We boggled that the last Land Cruiser was like ninety. Well, that was the, the Heritage Edition, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the problem with the Heritage Edition, look, I know, I know, angry, uh, angry typing. I hear, it's like angry drums in the distance. I hear the angry typing. <laughs> I, I know all the Land Cruiser cred. I know the, the, the reliability. And there are people that are obsessed with Land Cruiser. There is actually a hangar-sized garage space out at our local racetrack that is filled with a Land Cruiser collection. Yes, and I know yes. that for a fact. And they've got like doubles and triples of some of the models. And okay, I yeah, get it. Land yeah. Cruisers are a thing. But this is now nice enough that all of the off-road cred that it has is useless because you're not going to do it's it. It's too nice. It's too nice inside. Mm-hmm. But then it doesn't, to your point, it doesn't do all of the day-to-day stuff as well as some of their other product line. But having not that long ago, a year or so ago, driven the Heritage Edition, the last gasp of the official Land Cruiser with the big old V8 and the old, uh, the old school automatic yeah. and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Power-wise, this is a completely different category of off-roader because it now has the turbo V6s that they're putting Fair. in the Tundras and the, and the Sequoias and that kind of stuff. And every time either one of us drove this, I am not exaggerating, we were astounded by how much it just gathers itself and takes off. It shouldn't. It should not. And every time we drove it, we were like, oh my gosh, this is going... Because you're up on body on frame yeah, with a lot of float. 
Too much and float. Then, and then it just takes off, and that transmission's snapping through the gears and the engine's howling, and it, it literally is rocked back on its suspension while it hammers itself down the road. Yeah. So I yeah. was astounded by that. And then I had one opportunity where I had one of those things where you're pulling up to a light and you have the last-minute decision because it goes yellow, and you think, I probably should stop. Should I, should I run it? Should I? I had that moment mm-hmm. in the Land Cruiser. And I waited that extra beat to decide, and I was like, I, this is a big thing. I really should stop. So I got on the brakes, and I pushed on the brakes kind of hard, and they, they did an initial bite, followed by an, oh, you're serious bite. And they did braking like it does acceleration. But the brakes look completely unremarkable. They do. They do not look like they're oversized. They don't nope. look vented and slotted and drilled. And none of that. I don't think they could do it repeatedly. But if you need them now in this, it was literally throwing out the anchors and the air brakes. It just, the, the bumper dropped and it went, oh, we're serious. So from, from a standpoint of taking off and stopping, I think this is revolutionized genuinely from the last Land Cruiser. But my problem with the last Land Cruiser is kind of exaggerated here, and that is this got even nicer than the last Land Cruiser, which yes. makes it less likely to use its off-road cred. This is like, it's like the world's nicest $100,000 upgrade to a Wrangler Rubicon. Yes. And so, yes, the off-road cred is there, but would you use it like that anymore? It's like buying an iMac Pro just for email. <laughs> just for the calculator feature. <laughs> And spending all this money that you're never going to use. No serious off-roader uses 22-inch wheels. You're, you're going to buy 18s or smaller. You're, you're going big tires. And Kids, if we you can are go down the fire serious, road. Yeah. If you're truly serious about off-roading, I'll bet you the Sequoia can do everything this can. Mm. And if you're actually really serious, you get a Wrangler Rubicon or a Ford Bronco. Yeah. Or spend just as much and get the Raptor Bronco. Or you and get have something unbelievably capable and that it's for four-wheel driving. It's or you get a Defender and you just decide that's my luxury mix, but you don't, you don't so go this way. Why does this exist? And uh, if you want something just as luxurious and just as fast and actually better, and if you're up for spending some money, hi, Mercedes AMG SUV anything. If, well, if you're going to use it Handles as your, better, rides better, mm-hmm. more space, better looking, better interface, better across the board, better seats, better materials. The Lexus loses. Well, if you're going to use it as we think people are going to use it, which is never on, uh, never right. anything but on road, then yes, I would say the Escalade or the big AMGs make more sense. Yes. It's, it's stuck in a weird world because it's too powerful and luxurious for the off-roading, but yet it is built on this legendary off-road chassis. What a mixed bag. Haggerty is always announcing exciting new things that they're doing, and this one is no exception. Brand new this year. Marketplace is your Haggerty hub for buying and selling cool cars. With their reimagined classifieds experience, buyers can now shop for vehicles that are on sale from Haggerty Drivers Club members, and the sellers get access to millions of car lovers. This is a marketplace. There's all kinds of cars on there, so no matter what you're into, you can find something you love. And with classifieds, there's no buyer's feeds, regardless of vehicle price. Whether you're looking to buy or sell, you should head over to Haggerty Marketplace and take a look around. We think you'll love it. On to the debates. First from Anthony G. in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Anthony is ready to take the plunge. At age 34, he had a time machine. He went back to talk with his 20-year-old self, told him that he'd be into sports cars. He says younger Anthony would have laughed in his face and be concerned that he'd fallen down a flight of stairs. So apparently young Anthony was not interested in cars, and eventually he's been inspired. I love it. Young Anthony, for the longest time, thought driving was a chore, akin to mowing the lawn or cleaning storm gutters. I am sorry. Something that had to be done, but grudgingly. Okay. He grew up in greater Philadelphia, and he says there wasn't public transit infrastructure beyond light rail, so driving is the default way to get anywhere to do anything of note. 
years of family commuting and trips in a 1989 Subaru Legacy and a 2000 Chrysler Town & Country known as the Green Machine, the seafoam green. <laughs> oh, that he, era. The, oh, gosh, that era. <laughs> he says, tempered his expectations resembling anything fun while driving. He didn't get his own car until college, a first-generation Jeep Compass with a terrible CVT that reminds him that, well, it's remains his daily mm-hmm. at 104,000 miles. He said he's run this thing into the ground over the entirety of the eastern seaboard, showing its age quickly these days. He just had to throw $3,000 into it to pass state inspection in Pennsylvania. This is the second failed in Pennsylvania story we've heard in about three or four weeks. Amazing. So apparently Pennsylvania is strict. And the thing that, I, that amazes me about all of this, Anthony, we're getting to your epiphany moment, but this whole story you've shared so far, no wonder you don't like cars. That that whole Creed. that whole progression. I mean, it's that thing we say at the beginning of the podcast. We think people are one great car away from loving cars. You didn't have the opportunity. That's true. Well, his wife had a similar story with cars. Anthony and his wife met in 2016, and she only owned cars from Craigslist or friends. <laughs> oh, the Craigslist part scares hmm. me. There, yeah, okay. None of which cost more than a few thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. He says. Anthony says all these cars were garbage. The car that they had when they moved in together, an 06 Ford Focus, over 200,000 miles, was a perpetual money pit right about the time when they had no money to throw at it. <laughs> Let's move it together. You don't have anything. I don't have anything. Oh, good. Your car broke. <laughs> it died on I-95 on our way to work. So she called him and they said, we, we got to buy a car that weekend. So they found a 2019 Outback that she adores. The car she always has wanted. It's a great daily, spacious, comfortable, efficient, quiet, but so boring. Anthony's like, I'm glad she's happy is really what that that just kind of seeps through this email. I love that she's happy. Happy It's everything she needs. And it's also catastrophically boring. Now, this car has another 10 grand left on its loan, but they're debt free besides the Outback. He says he's recently gotten a new job five minutes from his house a salary that pays where he can get a car that's actually fun to drive. So he can pay off the the Outback probably sooner than they expected, and he has money to actually go, okay, let's go buy something fun. And this is where the epiphany happens because he was on his way home from work, and he just drove by a Mazda dealer and thought, you know, I wonder if they have a Miata I could test drive. I'm just going to go in and look. And they happen (laughs) to have the loaded-out Grand Touring RF retractable hardtop model, the RF model in gorgeous brown terracotta leather interior. He said, 10 minutes later, he was having, he goes, there's like an eloquent paragraph to follow. He essentially There's haiku, there's other poetry. Yes. He said it was a top 10 moment of his life driving a test drive in this Miata. It talk about getting the disease. This was like a fire hose of the disease all of a sudden. He was completely enraptured with this car. He describes it as revelatory on the back roads of Valley Forge National Park. So now he has it bad. He's doing landscape painting, totally. fine <laughs> air painting he, he's with just, his Miata in it. Exactly. So he's <laughs> so he started, of course, down the rabbit hole of YouTube, which brings him to us and others and now listening to the podcast. But the problem rears its head. Because he loved the Miata. And seriously, you guys, I'm skipping over like three paragraphs of love for the Miata. But he says, I'm 6'3 and 200 pounds. So he is saying right away, you can see the problem with the Miata. Yes, we can because we're right there with you. You are just physically a little bit too big for that car. Mm. Well, Anthony and his wife are planning on starting their family soon. First of all, with a Springer Spaniel puppy coming at Christmas. (laughs) I like how you've planned all that out. Honey, here's where the puppy comes. (laughs) Yeah, uh uh-huh. He wants to be able to take everyone and more than just one duffel bag. 
But what he does want more than anything is a convertible. Hmm. Oh, joy of joys. He writes, having the sun beat down on your face and the wind and your hair as you cut sharp corners and turns. I'm telling you, there, I, got I, it I thought bad. I saw haiku in here. He's got it bad. Yes. He must have that hard top, soft top, automatic or manual. He doesn't care. It must be convertible. Did you catch that mm-hmm. automatic or manual? He doesn't care. He just wants that interaction. He wants something good to drive here. But here's the problem. Anthony. I, I have to head you off at the pass. We're headed. We're headed there. And you've got more to say that we're going to go through. But you're asking for a I want to take the whole family and I'd like a convertible. Those typically don't have an equal sign in the middle, but we'll work our way there. Now, he describes Pennsylvania winters as mercurial. He says when it snows, oh, it snows. All-wheel drive would be nice. Rear-wheel drive is just so much more fun. And he can throw winter tires on it. He's not picky. Bravo. He loved that 50-50 weight balance of the Miata. So he says front mid-engine or mid-engine would be his preference. He is drawn more to the Japanese brands. Mazda, Toyota, Honda for reliability reasons. Prevalence of parts. Although he's not opposed to German brands, specifically Porsche. (laughs) Fine. Sure. Reliability is a big one, he says. So no BMWs. Mm. You name a car manufacturer, mm-hmm. and you we've all had experience or know somebody who has a something from that company, and we yep. think, what a great car. Or, ooh, why he, would you ever consider he says that? that he says his experience was his brother's girlfriend has a brand new BMW 330i. He says he, he thinks it's great to drive, but there's been constant hassle in owning and repairing it. You're not wrong, Anthony. You're not wrong. And everybody has... Their reasons mm-hmm. that are valid sure. because of their experiences. Yeah. I yeah, definitely yeah. understand that. But you did say earlier on, you don't care. You want convertible. <laughs> you see where yeah. I'm going here. I see, I, I see where you're going. Manual, yep. For sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Want to be able to take the whole family. Oh, it's coming. That's the hard part. He says his budget is about thirty-five grand. He might spend more if it's the right car. No immediate timetable, t- but uh, he said uh, the Jeep is is limping at best. So sooner rather than later, and he appreciates us actually reading this. And Anthony, we're great. We're thrilled to have you with us, man. Thanks for finding the YouTube channel, finding the podcast, for engaging with us. I'm going to go somewhere that someone's going to shake their head, but I'm going to go here right up front. Anthony, when I read your entire list of things you want, which, let's be honest, starts with the headline of, I love the Miata, but it's not right. Mm -hmm, It mm -hmm. follows with more space in the Miata. It follows with under 35 grand. It follows (laughs) with, I'd like to have some back seats. Everything (laughs) but convertible, Anthony, is the 86. Your car Uh, is the GR86, except for the fact it doesn't come in convertible. convertible. The only thing you've hung that you've said is the absolute is convertible. And I want to caution you on one thing with that. Because, look, I'm not a convertible guy, and just to this podcast today, it's a gorgeous fall day. I drove over here in my Lotus Elise with the top off and just thought, yeah, I get it. I do get it. It's wonderful when the time is right. But it's wonderful when the time is right and the car is right. I once drove a convertible Chrysler, what was it, Sebring Mm. in Kauai. Okay, you're in Hawaii, so. You're in Hawaii. You want the convertible, right? All right. Yes, we had the top down, and that was nice. But the car was abysmal. <laughs> I was going to say. There were three of us and gear, and we had plenty of space. on the scenery. And you could see, you know, unre- un- unobstructed. Oh, wow, look, I can see. that. Very cool. But you drove the Miata RF and fell in love with convertibles. And I'm going to submit to you that part of that love affair that you had, that, that revelatory experience, was the fact that you were also in the right car to drive. And as you head more into usable convertibles, you walk away from great-to-drive convertibles, and you mm-hmm. wind up at the extreme end in a Nissan Murano. 
Okay, I'm just saying, if convertible is paramount, you see what I'm saying? You wind up in something like a Murano because, well, I, I have to have convertible, but I have space. This is how a Murano convertible exists. Yikes. I'm not saying that's a recommendation, but you see what happens here, Anthony. So I, I want to caution you that convertible is awesome, but I think what you're really responding to is good to drive. There may be a middle ground to find here that, that sacrifices bits and pieces. I blocked that car out of my memory. It keeps coming up. The Murano, well, and, and also, yeah, I'm telling you, it is, it is a moment that I think of. A Chrysler up. Sebring convertible oh. on Kauai. Oh. There we were. <laughs> there we are. Luckily, most of the roads in Hawaii are pretty low speed limit, and you're just looking around anyway. But Just oh. focus on the scenery. Uh-huh. All right, Anthony. Let's see. Your requirements are front engine, Japanese, four-seat convertible. My friend at Toyota Solara is for you. Sure. It's like a notch above the Sebring. It is. It is. It is. Notch I'm kidding. one. I, just, I had to get that notch off my belt. Notch one, yes. Okay, how about a 2019 Volkswagen Beetle convertible? Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I had to get it off my chest. <laughs> but let me talk about bias a little bit. Anthony, I feel like there's been many people that have written to us and say, guys, thanks for the unbiased review. And I'm going... I felt like I was super biased. I, I really, <laughs> we, we try to not. We be, really yeah. try and come in and think, you know, I'd I'd love it if this car did, didn't disappoint. Just like we were talking about the Lexus at the top of the podcast, mm-hmm. I would love it if wow, there's something in there. The brakes were surprising. The power's astounding. Yes. Other than that, shop better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there was a car we drove that I was pretty biased against, and it is a BMW. Mm-hmm. We produced a review on it a year ago. It's the 2021 BMW 430i convertible. That is the base engine in the 4 Series convertible. Yeah. Go watch that test drive, Anthony. I really like that car. Uh-huh. I don't. I couldn't explain why. I just got in and I thought, oh, no. seventy. I think it was $70,000, something yeah, like yeah. that. And I thought, this is just going to be... T- what is this? Mm-hmm. The power's great. You don't need to step up to the 440. Nope. You can pay less and it drives great, a little bit lighter in that front end. I really liked it, and I'm not a convertible guy at all. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I kind of fell in love with it. I was super surprised that a BMW was building it. Well, maybe not because they're the king of niche vehicles, but still, mm-hmm. they built this car, and I just thought, I am eating crow. I am completely wrong, mm-hmm. and you know what? I'm happy to be wrong because it was such a great driving experience. The problem is it's 70 grand or $75,000 yeah, or however I, I much I wonder what the used ones are going to be at this point because they've been around a few years, and it's funny you bring that up because that was my top car for Anthony as well, so I'm going to pile on to what you're saying. It was so great. Because we said this in the review. I remember specifically us having this discussion in the review, and Anthony, you can find it on our test drive channel, but we talked about people like Anthony that write us and go, I need a four-seat, genuine, usable four-seat convertible, yeah. and we go, not that's any fun, you can't, right. is what we typically say. Right. And here came this four-series, and we went, no, 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 they've actually done it. Because the back seats, the problem is, most of the time when you get a four-seat convertible, the back seats are mostly unusable. And right. when you're right. Anthony's size, you're six feet tall, the, your, your driver's seat's pushed all the way back anyway, totally. and now the, the seat behind you certainly is unusable we were shocked because it has the room of a three series so genuine back seat room in a two-door four-seat convertible you could actually take four people and you still have a trunk anthony that is the car that answers everything you're talking about except it is bmw and above your budget now i don't know how far above your budget obviously they're going to be used at all time the 430 is key here because it is the base engine so those are the ones that are going to drop faster anyway they, they cost less to begin with mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. going to drop faster on the used market that is your target 
And I think you'd be surprised at how usable that car is. It is a genuine four-seater. Something like the 2 Series is kind of a four-seater. I was thinking that. That's but on my list, too. the 4 is a definite four-seater. And it is the one yeah. that is the exception to this rule of four seats in a convertible. That won't be that much fun. It is the exception. It's just pricey, and it's a BMW. Totally. Cowl stiffness was great. It drove mm-hmm. great. Lots of power. No beaver teeth. Looks I have other thoughts, but I, I, I went there just like you did. I was like, that's the answer. It really is. So what about like a 2018 440i for $32,000? That's in your budget here. That's kind of what you were talking about. Let's see. You wrote to us a budget, I thought. Yeah, 35. 35, Push, right? push a little yeah. if you can, yeah. So that's in there. I'm wondering about Fiat 500 of Bart's. It's a little bit cramped The convertible in there. there, yeah. I yeah. thought about Mini Coopers. Mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. course, you can't go convertible without mentioning Mustangs and Camaros, but I don't think those cars are for you because any car you drive after the Miata is going to be disappointing. You fell in love with that driving experience mm-hmm. and... You're going to have to keep the Miata to get that. 86 with the windows down, Anthony? Could I <laughs> Maybe. take it to somebody and have a build you a Targa? I don't know what we're doing here. I do think there's a missed market for Toyota on that car of having some sort of removable top. I think there's a market for that somewhere with that car, but it's a side note. I have a couple other things to mention here, Anthony. And again, I, we both we walked our way to the BMW, both of us separately. I want to mention the Audi TT, which is an interesting animal because you know what? Oh. The Audi TT is a two plus two, but only in coupe. You go convertible, That's it becomes true. a two seater. They put the top back there. Uh huh. Exactly. Folded. So there you lost your seats, <laughs> which is frustrating. Something you could do, and I, I wonder about this. You could theoretically, with your budget of around forty grand, find yourself a nine eleven Cabriolet. See, that was my wild card here. Yeah. You might be a Cabriolet or Targa customer. Yeah. Because the Targa is what you fell in love with, that retractable fastback sure, yeah. from the Miata. And that's the feel, that's the whole point of that car existing. It's not full convertible. Mm-hmm. It's just top, and it's still got the structural thing, yeah, and then yeah. it does good winter duty. Mm-hmm. You might be a Targa customer, but again, we're talking forty grand, and then, of course, we're off into Porsche 911 land. Yes, and the 911 cabs, the thing is, those drop faster than anything on the used market. So they do. So you could find yourself, I'm certain, a 996, which is the late, two, late uh, 90s, early 2000s, or a 997, which is 05 and up. You could find cabs of both of those, but I want to caution you on one thing. I will look. Uh, good, excellent. And that is... They're not that usable back seats. They're there, but the back seats on the 911 really don't become usable until the car gets bigger in the 991 and 992 generation. They actually become like, oh, those are decent back seats now. You can certainly use them. I know many of you have done the school run. I love seeing people in 911s do the school run with multiple kids. They're usable for kids, but you're talking about you and your wife and a dog and a little one, and the 911's not up for that task, really. Not the 996, 997. What about an automatic 911? I think, think the price down. He, he can absolutely find one in his budget. The 911 cab is viable here for sure. I've got a bunch of them here. Plaza Motors in Tempe, Arizona on Scottsdale Road. They've got at least three of them. The year 2000 911s, they're Carrera Cabriolets, so it's just the base engine, mm-hmm. base bodywork, but it's still a Porsche 911 cab, and three of them are manuals. There's uh, There you go, Anthony. They're yeah. out there. Let's see, twenty nine grand, twenty two nine, and we're talking one hundred five thousand miles on that one, and oh, and forty three thousand miles on this other one. It's silver, but it's a manual nine eleven cabriolet, forty three thousand miles for thirty grand. Yeah, they're out there. It's still a fun car. I don't know if you want the nine eleven. I don't know if those back seats are usable enough. The, the unknown question here, Anthony, is how you really want to use those back seats because I'm telling you right now, a rear facing child seat and a dog will not go in most of these back seats. Can the dog but, stay home, maybe? Maybe. But but that 4 Series, 
as much as it's a BMW <clears throat> and pricey, yeah. really is the one with the usable back seats and maintaining some fun. I can't believe it, but it's very true. When you remember that car that fascinates you, or you hear us debate a particular vehicle right here on the podcast, you need a way to search for it. Our friends at Autotempest.com will help you find your next car, wherever it is, wherever it's hiding, local, nationwide, big listings, or little ones. And you're probably the person your friends and everyone in your family consults with for their car buying decisions. Even with sponsorships like this one, the folks at Autotempest rely on word of mouth. So let your friends know this is your secret weapon. Autotempest.com slash everyday links you to nationwide listings from Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, so it enables you to search beyond the limited distances those sites support. So when you're doing your drive homework, you're chasing your next family car, or you're just having that fear of missing out, go to Autotempest.com slash everyday so they know we sent you. Autotempest. All the cars. One search. You were kind of all convertibles all the time on this podcast. I noticed this. That's the common thread. Oh. <laughs> Russ is riding to us yes. from Denver, and he's he's, he's thread, got a, a BMW family. We've also got a BMW through line here as well. See, I still like to keep it. You know, I, I love still that. Noticing no, the through lines. I appreciate it. I think it's wonderful. He said, "Growing up, cars were utilitarian, economical. There was there was nothing fun about them except all the cars growing up." all had to be manual. So he's had plenty of manual uh, cars. And of course he was a car guy in that he was a kid in the eighties. And so he had Testarossa and Countach posters. Yeah, because baby. He watched Miami vice. Like we all did. Michael Mann got his start on Miami vice. Oh, no on, kidding. Went on to make movies like heat. Heat was great. Heat is really good. And Michael Mann is known to be, how do I put this tactfully difficult, but uh, yeah, he got his start with Miami Vice, which is interesting to look at movie, a movie as serious as Heat and realize from the guy that brought you Miami Vice comes this very serious film. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Russ is in Denver and he's wondering if he should add a dusty pickup to the BMW family. For 10 years of his working life, he's been trying to figure out his car type. Sedan? SUV? Mix of both? A bit of both? He test drove and bought a BMW 3 Series on a whim while living in L.A. 15 years ago and changed his mindset. Mm. So now he's got a 2011 335i hardtop convertible manual transmission. That's, that's an uncommon car. That is. Well, let's see. Maybe we could suggest that, uh, <laughs> you know, that like the E93 for Anthony yeah, all right. in Philadelphia. All right. There you go. Anyway. Well, he's got that and a 2013 X3 2.8, both with about 50,000 miles. Okay. He and his wife are considering adding a high mileage, inexpensive pickup truck to this mix because they bought a fixer house. Hmm. Is it crazy to keep the 335 as a forever car? Is it weird to have two BMWs at right about 50,000 miles? Should they be considering replacing that X3 with a newer crew cab pickup to serve both purposes? Russ's early life was filled with vehicles underpowered, utilitarian, economical, and not as snow capable as you might expect. He remembers the VW Beetles and vans from his baby pictures, and his first memory was a green Fiat in the late 70s, followed by a brown Chevy Chevette. Ooh, Chevette. <laughs> they had a second car, a maroon Subaru Brat with T-tops, jump seats in the back. There it is. <laughs> and a four-speed stick. Isn't it funny to think back and think that that Brat is now something we're all kind of going, you had a what now? I, I just think that's so funny. Anyway. <laughs> his Well, part of his driver's test was to back up the Brat 50 yards while staying within five feet of a seven-foot-high snowbank. And Russ passed. Good for you, man. That's well done. I think most people couldn't do that right wow. now. Most people couldn't do it right now with sensors and a backup camera. No kidding. Yeah. Well, the family's utilitarian and economic theme continued through his college years, this time with a more of a nod to the Northeast seasons where he grew up. 
Volvo 240D five-speed manual. Of course you did. With overdrive. Of course you did. He had a couple Subaru Legacy wagons. And, oh, he says the only exception was an 86 Honda CRX, wasn't the SI, bought as a second car his junior year of high school. And he sees when he reads the specs now, it's laughable to see 90 horsepower or Uh so as he remembers taking it about 110 miles an hour on the highway. They were light. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Downhill with a tailwind. Mm -hmm. He says it weighed as much as a Honda Goldwing, and he says it had less utility. So now after college, he got a job with a large company and bought a two-year-old 1992 Honda Accord LX sedan five-speed. Then he moved to New York City, went without a car for a year and a half, and then had these succession of cars that he names through here. Leasing, buying... O2 Acura, then he had a lease, you know, finished that and moved to LA. He went and rediscovered his utilitarian roots. So we got a (laughs) Honda Civic Hybrid, Ford Explorer, Ford Escape, and the new O4 Discovery 2 that he never loved because it always seemed like the seat needed to go back two inches to accommodate his six-foot frame. But no comment about it not running because that was the era of the the Land uh, Cruisers where they just did not run. Land Rover, sorry. The Discoveries just didn't, yeah. So he looked around while he was living in L.A. He thought, am I an SUV guy? He bought a five-year Explorer with $60,000 with the dreams of going to the mountains. <laughs> Sold sure. it a year later. Oh, yeah, yeah. Took mm-hmm. you that long, did it? Mm-hmm. Well, he traded that. Well, he bought, oh, he bought a 325i. Mm-hmm. In the middle of all this, he, he happened to wow. just kind of randomly that was car. Okay. test drive a couple-year-old 325ci. And he said that was revelatory, just like we had in the last one with Anthony. Revelatory here to have non-squishy steering, steering feel, road underneath you, etc. And uh, he had he had to have it for a while, but then, of course, there's a more progression. He's got another Land Rover in here. He's got a Range Rover Sport. He's had a little bit of everything. In 2015, they moved to Denver. His wife had a Mini Cooper convertible, and then she sold that before they left LA. So now, finally, after all of this, they're in Denver, and he stumbles upon the return of the BMW. <laughs> he finds in 2015, he founds a four-year-old used 2011 335i hardtop convertible six-speed with 20,000 miles, and he said, I will take that. Thank you. He drives it through Denver winners. He said it's great. He thinks it's awesome. He loves being the guy in the rear-wheel drive car that he loves all winter. So that car is a bit of a unicorn and kind of wants to stay. Oof. But... When he traded in the last of the litany of crazy SUVs, it was the Range Rover Sport, he bought a 2013 BMW X3, and that's become his wife's car. So they are a two-BMW garage. So now he has kind of two unicorn-related BMWs in the 11-year-old 335i and the 9-year-old utilitarian, but he describes not sporty enough, X3. So they both have about 50,000 miles. And so now they're thinking, do we keep these and buy a truck? What happens? Wow. Russ just put 3500 bucks into the 335i for a turbo air intake and other minor stuff. Minor stuff for $3,500? Minor, <laughs> minor stuff cost me $3,500. Yep. You could buy a car for $3,500. You could. Well, everything I've put into the 300ZX so far is amounts to less than $3,500. Still. Yeah. I'm not there. You're not there. Um, we just had different experiences. Russ has considered adding this third vehicle. They thought about a pickup truck because they're convincing themselves, he and his wife, every time they need to run to Home Depot or the landscaping lot for their fixer-upper home that they bought last year, they should just have a truck. Mm -hmm. His wife agrees at this point that they hold on to the 335i for dear life, forever. Interesting. Okay. All right. It's going to be driven less than 5,000 miles a year between April and November. But they love it. They love it and it runs. And they also said the X3 is fine. He says, you know, it's 
hitting 50,000 miles, but they're not sure what their better options are for getting an SUV. They've, they've got one already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So now they just want to add the pickup truck, but the catch is, is there a pickup under 15 grand with less than a hundred thousand miles? That's just a little bit more fun than utilitarian. Mm. If they keep the two BMWs, the truck would be parked on the street. And he checked out early 2000s Dodge Dakota Sports. Wow. Mm-hmm. They might have some power, but then it's 20 years old, 22 years old. I would be hard-pressed to recommend that to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they crazy to have three cars? Should they consider a four-door truck? They're thinking about the values of both their BMWs right now, but mm-hmm. with two dogs and occasional road trips, they do like the small SUV option. They've got it. So, well, maybe a crew cab pickup, but why do you need a crew cab pickup? To for fifteen thousand dollars when you've got the X three, drive the X three, drive you it into think. the ground. You would think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Russ, if you like that three thirty five i, keep it, mm-hmm. but don't treat the X three the same way. It's mm. not in the same category as that hardtop convertible. I agree. I drive agree. the X three, put the money into it, keep it running. You've got it. Mm-hmm. Use that for your road trips with your two dogs. You've got it mm-hmm. because. For all the utilitarian runs, and maybe you need it more than, you know, we've joked twice a year. Sure. Home Depot twice a year, rent the truck, or borrow your friend's pickup truck. And you ask for some fun in a pickup truck, which makes me think Santa Cruz. There's a little bit of fun in a ute, but they're Mm -hmm. not $15,000. They're not, but it's interesting you went there, because that's my wild card, but it's also my favorite for this discussion. You're 40 grand more. It is, yes, but here's the key thing. He does mention, what if we sold the X3? And I think you do sell the X3, Russ. You sell the X3 and you add it to your money. The value of the X3 is about $15,000. And he said, add that to the pickup. Maybe they could pull off $35,000 for a used Tacoma. You don't want a $35,000 used Tacoma. And the thing is, you talked about that the X3 has got the utilitarian thing that you like, but it's not fun to drive enough. Maybe we can get a pickup. Is a pickup fun? Pickups typically aren't fun in the kind of way your BMW is fun. And here floats this Santa Cruz, hmm. which okay. at $40,000 feels like a little much, but I think it's going to have the driving capability or exceeding the fun of that X3. Okay. And you've got a little pickup bed. You've got a fixer upper house. You don't have a tear down. You're not a contractor. You've got a little bed back there for Home Depot runs for the dirty stuff. That's where the Santa Cruz will excel. The okay. dual clutch transmission. The the best thing about the Santa Cruz, watch our Santa Cruz Maverick piece. The best thing about the Santa Cruz is how good it is to drive. Yeah. And you're looking yeah. for, I want something that's more fun to drive than the X3. X3 is getting a little old. Maybe we can get something new. Wouldn't it be cool? Maybe we just get an old beat-on pickup. Can that be fun to drive? And I'm going, whoa, 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 hang on. Sell the X3. Merge that with See, the money like you have. Buy yourself a Santa Cruz. You have pickup when you need it, but the rest of the time, it's actually great to drive, especially in that segment, because you could get, I have other things, you could get a taco for less than 40 grand, maybe, but you're going to find that less satisfying to drive than the X3, I guarantee you. For your normal daily stuff, it's less satisfying than the X3 to drive. Utilitarian, you don't go off-road, you don't need a taco, but you're going to have that pickup bed. But you spend all your money mm-hmm. to get into a taco because it'll it'll be every bit of forty grand to get yeah, one. Yeah, true. And, and that's now a the X three exactly. So there's that. You could get a Cayenne because you said your wife kind of likes Macans. You could get an old Cayenne, cover the back and cover craft stuff, and use it as a utilitarian off road thing that drives better than your X three. That could work as well. I true. thought of that, but every time I think this through, I just go, you know, Russ, I think you need to sell the X three, buy a loaded Santa Cruz. 
You've mm. got the cab to be nice and the place is fun to drive. And then when you need to throw something nasty in the pickup bed, you can. Hmm. You've figured out a way to justify the $40,000. I think so, because that's where that's he, good. He's, he's talking about spending forty grand on a used taco or F-150. No, because you're going to wind up in something. You lost all the things you liked about the X3. You wind up in a pickup for great for pickup stuff. No question. Yeah. But you didn't yeah. get any more fun than you had. And you're not, you're not a pickup guy first. You're a guy wondering about having a bed now and then. And it doesn't drive like a pickup. Santa Cruz. Get the turbo engine too. You're yeah, the to four, spend more. The, absolutely, the forty the grand. Well, the one we had was forty, which yeah. felt like a little bit a lot. But in in the for the right person, I think Russ and his wife are it. I think it's right. I think you're right. Because see, I was thinking about pickup truck, and you were wanting some fun. And Russ in a pickup truck, if you start to have fun, then all the stuff you're transporting starts to have fun too. <laughs> I could. Why is that launching out of the rear <laughs> mirror? It tries to exit the pickup. Yes, bed. it does. Having so much fun back there, mm-hmm. it tries to scatter all over the road. But yes, that Santa Cruz is actually really right and for what your pickup truck kinds of needs are you don't need a full-size pickup i don't think so it's not what i'm hearing here however there is a front runner for me oh good another one based upon your story and there's a reason we read that story Mm -hmm. and in in its entirety and russ what if you got a subaru brat (laughs) now that's cool what if you got a brat keep the x3 keep the 335 add the brat for less than 15 i do kind of like i you have hit on something bravo because that is fun Uh it's not fun like we think fun fast good corner everybody's gonna be like a brat and you're gonna make instant friends all these memories and it's I think the Brat is kind of on the upswing in terms of value. Yeah. In a tiny, weird way. You're not buying something for the future. You're not buying an mm, investment sure. car. Yeah, You're no, going to no, no, buy no. it and drive it. But it's a Subi. Mm-hmm. It's a Brat. Mm-hmm. It's going to bring back all those memories and you're probably going to want to drive it all the time. And it's not going to drive well, but you're not going to care. Exactly right. That's, that's a great, because that's also something, if he, if he buys that for 15 grand, 15 grand gets you the nicest brat yes, out there. And then grand. you park it in the snow all winter, and you don't care. You exactly. just don't care. You take it to Home Depot, and it gets scratched, and you go, and? and I, that is that is genius, Paul. You have, you have reconnected him back <laughs> yes. to his past. That actually, you're right, that's fun in a different way. It's but totally very weird. fun. But I think you'll gravitate towards driving it and just laugh the whole time with its 90 or 60 horsepower, however much it had. It varied by <laughs> Depends model, on your engine and the model and all that. Know, yeah, okay, yeah. get a used Brad. It's beat That's up. funny. You will make friends like crazy. You can I put all like the it. Home Depot stuff back there. I initially considered that Volkswagen pickup truck thing, like that rabbit pickup. Yeah. Because those are also fun in the same way. Sure, sure, sure. They're super underpowered and slow, but everybody's like, no way. But there's brat history here. Yeah. And that's cool. I do like it. Keep the the BMW garage. You're on the upswing with vehicles that are, the nice ones are starting to go back up the other way. And and it's that weird, this is the the peak Radwood era stuff. Yes. Where when people see it, they just, it just warms their heart. There's 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 nothing about it that is like, oh, those were phenomenal. They weren't. But it's just. You're but right. I just like it. It's exactly. just fun. You guys have great questions always. Thank you for for dialing those in again. And I'm going to start right here off of Instagram. A BMW named Bryce on Instagram. Okay, has this question. And this, I don't know that I'm enough of a BMW guy to dig as far as you could dig on this because you could dig a long way. But here is the question: What are the pros and cons? of upgrading an E46 3 Series? Now, to set the stage, this is the mid 2000s. 
BMW 3 Series, the E46 generation. That also was the generation that created the definitive M3 in most people's minds, the E46. Okay, so we're talking 08, let's just say. Okay, that's the one with the definitive hydraulic steering and the inline six that everybody loves. That is the definitive era of E46. But he's saying, what about taking an E46 3 Series and upgrading it to M3 performance levels instead of just buying an E46 M3? So he's talking Mm. about the car's 20 years old. Mm. Can I just tune it up to be M3 equivalent? What do we think the pros and cons are? I'm going to try to simplify this. First off, we're not big fans of tuning out of class. It's exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about taking the lesser model and trying to make it into an M3, and that's going to cost you a lot more money and time and R&D than it's probably worth. So in that regard, I would just say buy yourself an E46 M3. But the problem is twofold. Here's the pro and con side. The E46 M3s are going up and up and up and up in value. And I'll give you two examples. Our friends at the Smoking Tire, Matt Farah has a pristine one he paid an obscene amount for from uh, Enthusiast Auto out in Ohio. He, he bought the it's definitive perfect, one. It is perfect, but, but he's, he spent a, a, lot. a lot of money for the yeah. definitive one. And he's going to drive it rarely. Contrast that with Zach Clapman who mm-hmm. co-hosts the show with him, that had an, that bought a affordable E46 M3 a few years ago and has drifted it and dailied it, and it is constantly asking for stuff. He's dumping money And the money bill is a yeah. constant comma. Yep. Okay, and he bought a pretty well-sorted one. Yeah. So the, the, the only pro to you taking an E46 and taking it up to M3 power is that you would have done all the things to know that it's been sorted right. If you buy an old used E46 M3, there are gotchus hiding in that car that you will then discover. True, true. So the only thing about tuning your old one is the fact that you know it. But what you really want, if you really do, is you want the E46 M3 the way they built it. It's good. Jay Brand Official on Instagram says, what company best balances beautiful and functional design? He's big into Bauhaus, and so he would love some functional beauty. You're going to laugh. You probably didn't see this coming, but you said beauty and function. Okay. When both of those are in equal amounts, mm-hmm. Range Rovers. Okay. Range Rovers. Yeah, I see what you're doing. Actually, their entire catalog right now, they're actually really quite good looking. And when you mentioned Bauhaus, mm. yeah, more of the Bauhaus school of architecture and tight lines and crisp endings mm-hmm. on, on things and, and good surfaces, but... On the other hand, it's a tall, boxy, kind of off-road thing, but it's yeah, got to be yeah. the world's premier off-road vehicle, right? Yeah. Even though yeah. they're not, but they've still got to do great things. And actually, their designs right now across their entire portfolio, mm. fantastic. That's really good. They're great. Bravo on that. That discovery turns my head every time I see one. Mm-hmm. They're just cool looking. The Defenders are cool. Everything's doing really well right now, yeah. I just, everything is cool. Mm. But you said beauty, form, and function Together, equal amounts. Would you agree? That's very good. On Instagram, the driver's seat photographer, I love that avatar, says, which American automaker is currently doing the best job of building on the heritage of their company to drive sales as well as pave the way for models that will join the ranks in the coming years? So they're referencing the past and prepping their audience for the future. Who's doing it best? He says, is it Ford with the Mustang? Is it Chevy with the Corvette? Is it Dodge with the Charger, Challenger, Daytona? He's just really curious our thoughts. I actually think, keep this in mind, Ford has decided they no longer want to make cars. Mm-hmm. They're making the Mustang because the Mustang has history, but they no longer want yeah. to make cars. They're yeah. barely hanging on to that. 
Chevy is remaking the Corvette. And it's really cool. The base Corvette is awesome. The base C8 is awesome. Yep. The Z06 is now mind-blowing yep. and will have massive lines. They are trying, Chevy is trying to find new customers that haven't been Corvette buyers before. So they're remaking themselves. So I don't think it, it counts there. Plus, as we've done our American original film about all the Corvettes in spite of the fact that they talked about a mid-engine Corvette from the first generation. Exactly. That's not news. There is a segment of Corvette buyers that the minute you went mid-engine, they went, oh, that's not a Corvette. Now, I keep thinking, you don't really know the history, do you? Because <laughs> exactly. they wanted to whatever. Okay. But the, the, the old guard of Corvette doesn't want to take the C8 seriously. So that's not working. I do think Dodge is nailing it. Do you? Because okay. of their recent, what was it, the Banshee? The mm-hmm. recent electric thing they showed. That could have been a disaster. I agree. It could I have agree. been something that all you heard was internet backlash, and you haven't heard that. They have completely trained their audience with Mopar power, man, mm-hmm. and the Hemi engine and mm-hmm. the elephant, and they have trained their audience that crazy power lives here and absurdity lives here and big old-fashioned muscle cars come to Dodge. Mm. Okay, they have completely trained their audience. And yet here they come with an electric concept car. That should have been a disaster. That Based on their history, that should have been a <laughs> wah, wah. And everybody kind of went, well, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And it now, is. it's not out yet, but the fact that their audience is now so trained on muscle car looks and attitude and sheer power that they side, and you called this years ago, Paul, they sidestepped to go, here's muscle car looks and attitude and sheer power. But by the way, it doesn't burn gas anymore. But the audience is so conditioned that they just went, well, that is really good. I think Dodge, it could have been a big misstep. And if the car comes out like they've advertised it, I think they've nailed it. Okay, I like that too. Ghazi Chav asks if it's better to find a car you love or a car that you really like and grow to love. I feel like it's better to find a car you love. Hmm. And that takes a while. And it might take a few misses. You might have to cycle through a few times of ownership to get there. And you might not know, and it's costly. And this whole car enthusiasm costs a lot of money. It just does. But when you say grow to love... That implies tuning. To me, that implies buying Mm. parts so you're forcing the love. I'm Mm, trying to love the car, so I'll buy the next part that makes it. What? What? Yeah. I I love it because it breaks better now. No, I still don't love it. (laughs) It's got a lot more power, man. That cold air, you know, anything, supercharger, boost, suspension. Yeah, it's got it now. (sighs) I still don't love it, though. And now you spent way more money when you could have spent money on the next car trying to get to the car you love. I'm not saying the I car you love is equates to the forever car. True. And you can love it for a while. And you can also love a car that's imperfect that you end up getting rid of. True. That's all very valid. Yeah. But, but you know, I'm going to equate it back to relationships. We do that sometimes with cars on this thing. Would you marry somebody in the hopes you grow to love them? They're perfectly nice. I like you just fine. Hopefully, I'll grow to love you. Hopefully, we really connect. I, on a you deep. know, the, the thing is, and, and cars, obviously, that, that's the reason we say switch cars, not spouses, because cars are easier, and I get that. Mm-hmm. But what you're to, doing here is you're dice rolling and going, I like this car. Maybe if I owned it, I'd love it. Well, may, maybe, and to your point, Paul, then how, what tinkering do you try? But if you're just hoping that you drive a car and you were like, well, I hope I, hope I end up really liking this later. I think that's a bad way to spend your money. Like my car got 
implants and Botox. Easy, and easy. <laughs> all the parts. It's, it's a BMW M, a M card. It already came with lip implants. <laughs> run away, run away. <laughs> Jared Beyer asks, design-wise, how do designers pick out side view mirror shapes? He sees square shapes and more teardrop shaped side mirrors. He started thinking about when he got his GLA 45 and then looking at other cars, it seemed like the larger SUVs had more square-ish shaped side view mirrors mm. and more cars had the teardrop shaped or oval shapes. But if it varies by brand, he thinks all the Mercedes have rectangular side view mirrors. So is it a brand thing? Is it a vehicle segment thing? Is it whatever the corporate style says it should be? Well, I guarantee you that even though it is very important, designers spend very little time thinking about it. They'll give you a quick sketch and a quick shape and the clay model. Let's mold that stuff up and let's have the surfacing team. Let's get something that kind of looks good. We got mirrors in the back, right? (laughs) Well, kind of, because you look at BMW's mirrors. Mm -hmm. That's a shape that will pretty much work on all of their cars. Yeah. Therefore, you don't have to do a different mirror design and you can amortize your tooling. And it's like I said, they're very important, but you don't want to spend a whole lot lot of money on exterior Mm. rear view mirrors. Because you don't want all the development dollars into that unless you're super concerned about aerodynamics, Mm -hmm. which some future electric cars are, and therefore it is a very big deal. Mm -hmm. But that's not what designers want to spend time doing. You've told me many, many times that every designer on the planet would be much happier if they didn't have to worry about side mirrors and door handles. Yes. It'd just be, everything would be much prettier. And, you know, at some point, maybe we'll get to the place where you can do the camera side mirrors. I mean, that makes sense, and it would help a lot for aerodynamics to not have them at all. But yes. their, their requirement, they're not the, I'm going to do a cool mirror, with the possible exception of the Pagani Waira. The only car I can think of with cool mirrors. True. But it, this is also the company that like makes bespoke little carbon fiber rivets for, let's say, Pagani on them. I mean, they're worried yes, about everything yes. on a level that the average car maker never will. Pagani anything. It's like yes. driving an Italian espresso machine. <laughs> okay. It's the best thing ever. Good to know. Right? So, yes, the, the mirrors are larger for SUVs because you sit up higher, and mm-hmm. theoretically you want to have more square footage of yeah, yeah, the mirror. Yeah, you want to see better. So you can see the back better. Designers want something that works for the car, but if they can get away with using similar mirrors across you know, the entire portfolio or maybe even just a couple of cars, mm-hmm. they have to design a shape that will work for both. The size works for that smaller one, you know, a little bit too big on that one, a little bit too small on that one, but it kind of works for both Mm. and we'll go with it. But the other big thing is, of course, regulations for Mm -hmm. mere size and depending on the size of the vehicle, how many passengers, how long is the car, they have to have large enough mirrors. And I believe in North America, the mirror requirements are a little bit better. That might have changed. I'm definitely not up on my governmental mirror regulations lately, but that's all consideration is, of course, the uh, the regulations in, in design as well. Somebody recently rented my Elise and they burst out laughing when I showed them that the mirrors were manual because they couldn't remember the last car they'd even seen that way. And they also <laughs> laughed about the fact, of course, I'm a big guy, but it's also a very small car. From the driver's seat, you can roll down both windows. Not because there's switches on both sides. <laughs> I can roll down the one on the driver's side and then I can easily reach across within my hand's reach and hit it's the window on the other side and then reach out and actually change <laughs> the passenger side mirror because it's manual. you got to roll the window down. That's not something that happens anymore. That's funny. John on Facebook says, with new cars becoming, talking about technology, fully technology-driven, four-wheeled smartphones, do we think there will be the ability to restore these cars down the road? He said he currently wrenches on a 66 Mustang. So that's his perspective. John, it's going to be very hard to restore and rework these cars because the technology will keep moving on beyond them in a way that 
your old Mustang, you just, it's a mechanical thing. So we'll just figure this out and, oh, hang on, let's change the timing and oh, what's up at the carburetor and stuff that, the stuff that doesn't happen on these new cars. What's going to happen though, is the tuning is going to be laptop based. It's going to be coding. People are going to be wanting to hack the, you know, it's going to happen. People are going to want to, I hacked that old car. I got into its brain and I figured it out. You remember the McLaren F1 yes. with the old Toshiba laptop? Yes. That was the only way to reference the car 20 years later. They had an old laptop with a bad cable from the 90s. Practically, it's like <laughs> dial up to fix your car. So this is going to be the challenge. Don't throw that out. That's a valuable cable. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> what are you doing? It's like makes VGA look like amazing technology. Yes, exactly. Please, please, please <laughs> keep that cable safe. But anyway, uh, so I think that's going to be the challenge. It's going to be, is there the technology to talk to the old cars? And who's the person, frankly, that wants to play hacker to revise them? It'll be a totally different approach to the hobby. I think it will exist, but I think it won't be as common. Well, I think that will continue with parts of the car being so tunable because they're all electric. They're yes, electronic. Completely. And we've touched on that. We've gotten a question from Ted Adam Green, who's asking me if EVs will drive the same. Are they differentiating themselves? Or are they fun to drive? I mean, we have to redefine fun. Listen to a couple episodes when we talked about that I-4. Mm -hmm. Imagine the I-4 20 years into the future. People are going to be wanting to hack into it and change various things about it or maybe swap the batteries. Look at how old these graphics look. Seriously. <laughs> and they look fresh and amazing right now. Of course they do. Wait five minutes. So with all the electronic parts, if you can tune the part to have a different steering feel or turn in harder or you know readjust the suspension, all that kind of stuff, well, then that makes it still useful. Those parts are still valuable and useful. But at this point, I don't think they are yet. I think mm. future parts to cars will be around a long time because they'll just be tunable by your laptop. Mm. We can retune the suspension and they'll be useful to keep. They'll last a long time. We're Look not quite the there code yet. stack for the steering on this one. Yes, I think that will happen eventually. Like I said, we're not there yet. We appreciate all your questions. Thank you so much. Write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com for your Topic Tuesdays, car conclusions, and your car debates. We love hearing from you guys and, of yeah. course, social media questions. We can't get to everything all the time, but we love you know seeing what we can it's get great. to Thank in the guys. span of time that we have. And, yeah, this YouTube stuff coming out, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast. Yep. Watch the Corolla piece day. It's going to be a good one. Be fun. A lot of fun. We had a uh, good time with these cars. Yeah, we did. Guys, thank you so much. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.